Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We continue in the Feast of Ascension. As we await the power from on high this coming Sunday at the Feast of Pentecost. The Sunday in between Ascension and Pentecost is devoted to the fathers of the first ecumenical council, the council that met in Nicaea, that declared, clarified, and proclaimed that Jesus Christ is of one essence with the Father, that when we behold Jesus Christ, we behold the Father, that we have complete access, that we have been and can be saved because of who Jesus Christ is. This occurs between Ascension and Pentecost, especially because of what the Feast of Pentecost underlines for us, what it brings home. The Feast of Ascension is the God-man, emphasis on the man aspect, his fleshly nature sitting now at the right hand of the Father. We have for weeks been in Pascha. Before that, we were in Lent. And there has been throughout the commemoration, the celebration of our Lord's suffering, rejection, his death on the cross, his descent into Hades, his conquering of Hades, and then his explosion out of that darkness into the light, where we have been singing for weeks, Christ is risen. And now we are, in a sense, suspended because Christ has now not only just saved us from the death, the darkness, all that Hades has in store, he has taken us up into the very heavens. The fullness of the gospel is that you and I are not only saved from death and from our sins, but that we now are to sit with the Son, with our Lord, in the heavens. This is the path blazed for us. This is our full access to God. That we have a high priest, and we read through all of Lent on the Sundays, emphasizing the high priesthood of God. That our Lord in the flesh is now in the heavens with that same flesh. Sanctified, purified, because he could not just lie dead. He, being God, was to be raised and then ascend. There's a monastery on Mount Athos where during this feast they say to one another, Christ has ascended. And this is always kind of a debate because there's all sorts of little traditions. Father Stephen and I were talking about this on the Feast of Ascension. What exactly do you say? Because other feasts have, we've just been saying Christ is risen, Christ is risen, Christ is risen. And then it kind of like, okay, now we're in Ascension. We should say something. So, Throughout the world, there's different variations. But this variation, this monastery of Manathos, I think underlines this truth, especially for us. 
When you greet someone, you say, Christ has ascended, and the response is, I also have ascended. That's quite powerful. It's not just an accol- you know, a response of, you know, Christ is risen. It's like, yes, he is, indeed, truly, verily, in truth, forsooth, whatever, you know, all of the ways that you want to say, Christ is risen. But this, Christ has ascended, I also have ascended. What a confession in both ways. A confession of saying a truth, but also an aspiration, right? This is an incredible challenge of saying, I also have ascended. Really? (laughs) Have I actually ascended? I think my mind, my heart, my flesh, all the ways in which I have not ascended. When I think of this, and especially for this Feast of Ascension, I think of God enthroned as King and High Priest. And I start to ask myself, who is my real authority? Who is my real King? Who do I find refuge in as High Priest? At its heart, this question, have I truly ascended, makes me have to go back all the way down to first principles. Who frames my world? Who grounds my first principles? It is very tempting because life is hard. Life comes at us 24-7. It never stops. To withdraw to turn to Jesus just in times of need, or to basically have Jesus kind of on the shelf, as it were. We come to church Sunday morning. We do our kind of due diligence and piety. We make the sign of the cross. We have some thoughts. God is available. We know who he is. And yet he still is distant lofty maybe sometimes he subs as my therapist maybe sometimes he subs and comes in when I'm in a real jam versus my king and my lord and my god as Thomas just a few Sundays proclaims when he puts his fingers into his side the one who rules over everything the gospel tells us, and our Lord, as he is on this, still on this side of things, praying to the Father, you have given me authority over all flesh. That's not just Sunday morning. That's not just when I need him. This is everything. He is Lord of the cosmos. He is Lord of every aspect of of my life. And so who shapes my mind? What shapes my mind? Where do I go for my first principles in everything? How I interact with people, what my hopes and dreams are, what I think I should be doing with my life. You can fill in all sorts of questions here. What ultimately shapes me? 
Our Lord, in this prayer that we heard this morning in the gospel, he talks to the Father and the disciples are present, hearing him praying. The disciples are our Lord's because they have kept your word. To have our mind, our hearts, our lives submitted to our Lord means that we have to be submitting to his word. That means, yes, from himself, but that also means, because the fathers teach us, he comes to us through scripture. Our mind has to be shaped by the language, the metaphors, the realities, the stories, the narratives of scripture. This is our first foremost, if we would say, lenses that we're blind and we put on scripture and we can see things that we know when I am encountering this problem with my boss, when I am encountering this struggle in my marriage, when there is a, a war about what I'm supposed to think about X, Y, or Z, that first I go to scripture, that I go to tradition, to the writings the life of the church, the writings of the fathers. This is what will shape us. This is what will help us ascend. And this means a constant. The fathers, when they give direction, when they give advice, say your prayers, keep the fasts, go to church, read the scriptures, and then... Maybe a few other things, but those are kind of the basics. And sometimes we wonder, could there be something else? (laughs) Is there a, a shortcut? Is there another way to do this? And the fathers tell us, alms, giving of alms. The fathers talk about that all the time. We can keep, right? But where do we get to? How do we know that we need to give alms? Scripture. (laughs) The word tells us. We might not understand it. We may not understand the moral teachings of the church, but we submit ourselves to what the scriptures and the tradition teach us. Who inspires me to act? Who do I seek to imitate? Who do I actually imitate? The epistle this morning brings home to us the gravity of this question. Who is my authority? How do I send? Paul, in tears, summons the elders of Ephesus. And he tells them, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. It's like Paul knew what was going to happen for the next hundreds of years, two millennia. There will be wolves from without. And it's not just wolves from without. It's also from within the church. That men will rise up speaking perverse things. To draw away. To rip the garment of Christ. 
to fracture the body. For Paul, he tells them, three years I was with you, warning night and day with tears. How do the wolves come in and take sheep from the flock? How do people follow after men who speak perverse things to make disciples for themselves, to get a little cadre of followers, maybe retweeting everything or sharing everything constantly? Where does this come from? It comes from without, from within, but the sheep and those who are drawn off, where was scripture? Where was the authority? Where was the mind and the heart? This brings a stark reality to us. This is real. We can come into the ship, get on board, and we can be lost at sea because we don't follow what the captain has told us to do. If it's a crazy storm outside and we want to see how high the waves are going and we're hanging on to the edge, why do you think that you don't get drawn into the water? With tears, Paul proclaimed for three years, boldness and proclamation, the whole counsel of God. This is not just Jesus because I like the idea of Jesus. This is not just Jesus makes me feel good. This is everything. What I think, what I hope, what happens in my marriage, what happens in my family, what happens at work. The church teaches, weeps, and proclaims to us the whole counsel of God. Christ is Lord of everything. Therefore, we have to learn how to submit everything to him. Can we hear it? Can we hear what Paul was teaching, what the church teaches, what the scriptures say if we don't attend the services, if we don't read scripture, if we don't absorb the teachings of the fathers? And I'll be even, do we even, not just hear it, do we even want it? Do we want the whole counsel of God? Do we want to be sanctified and ascend? Do we pursue the things of God. This is the seriousness. The seriousness of the reality of the church and what Christ has done for us. We can't coast. Our roots have to grow deeper. We have to water, prune, take care of our garden. We cannot just exist, right? Just kind of existing We're either growing or we're dying. We're either ascending to where our Lord is or we're sliding and descending. Don't kid yourself. You cannot just stay like this. That means you're just blind. You're descending. If you think you're not ascending, then you're probably, well, sorry, you are descending. There's no probable. You're ascending or you're descending. Let's fast forward with this church in Ephesus to John, the apostle. He writes to Ephesians later in the book of Revelation. He says, you all are doing all right. You are 
keeping track of the doctrines of the church. You are paying attention. You actually have uh, expelled from your midst heretics. They've gone out from us because they were not of us. But what does John have to tell that the Lord has to say to the church of Ephesus? Does anyone remember what he has to say to the church of Ephesus? You forgot your first love. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, I have ascended. Repent and do the first works. First works. The reality of our Christian life goes back to those first works, the basics, the ABCs. Right? If you're practicing with a team, what do you have the basketball team, the baseball team, the football team? What do you do over and over again? You drill on the basics, the fundamentals, over and over again. Because that is our Christian life. Repent and go back and do the first works. And this is the Lord's word to the church at Ephesus. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place Unless you repent. Who is my authority? Who is framing how I understand and act in the world? At its heart, who do I love? Do I love the ascended Lord who is saying, come and sit with me? In fact, I have the place ready for you. Christ has ascended. I also have ascended. This is the continual challenge. Who do I love? Who do I listen to? Who do I obey? Who do I seek? In a few moments, the entire liturgy for us, we've begun our ascent to the altar. To be fed with the body and blood of our Lord, the ascended one. At the beginning of the anaphora, I will commend to you, I will say, let us lift up our hearts. This is the season to lift up our hearts, to set aright the very firm foundation we need to love the one who loved us first. The one who has ascended once not only to take us out of the graves, right? He wants to bring us into heaven. Christ has ascended. I also have ascended.